Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Welcome to Planning for Win, Financial Guidance in Life. I'm Kevin Pinkley. Thank you for joining us today. You know, in working as a financial advisor, I work with clients to help plan for a retirement that leads to a lifestyle of dignity and independence. We also work to help provide solutions to our clients for their other needs. Those solutions involve working with people with different expertise and experience. One of those people that can help provide such solutions is joining us today, Noel Cookman with the Mortgage Institute. Today's topic is credit qualifying and appraisals during divorce. So with that, I'll introduce Noel Cookman. Noel, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and then how our listeners could get in touch with you? Good afternoon, uh, Kevin. It's so good to be with you. It's an honor to be with you. Actually, I've known you for several years and uh, have uh, grown to respect you and really appreciate the work that you do. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, several years ago, 16 to be exact, I saw that people were devastated in divorce and could not many times qualify to, to buy a house or to refinance the house to keep it in a divorce settlement. And so I began to ask, what if? Mm-hmm. So 16 years ago this year, um, I, I said, let's do something about that. And so out of that, I created the divorce lending industry. And uh, people had never heard of it. Some people still have never heard of that. Well, that's because it's still kind of embryonic. And uh, we've learned so much in the last 16 years about how to help people. And so we've been able to help uh, thousands of people uh, get homes, keep homes, uh, kind of stabilize them after a final divorce. And uh, about that, we feel really good. And And I'm in the mortgage business. So um, that's really not that exciting. You know, who wants to, I mean, the word uh, mortgage means death. Uh, it's Latin, uh, M-O-R-T is Latin for, you know, mortuary, mortician. So it's really not that exciting. But what, so I, I realized I was going to have to do something that I thought was not only exciting, but really help people and solve problems. Mm-hmm. Kind of like you do. I don't know if your listeners know this, but you're uh, kind of a divorce specialist yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, not kind of, you are, but you do so many other things too. And that's one of the things, in my opinion, that makes you really good at what you do because you have, you're a problem solver. Mm-hmm. You, you, you look at somebody's situation, you realize you're going to solve a problem. So that's how I got involved in this 16 years ago is uh, kind of like a what if moment. Okay. Well, if, if people wanted to reach out and contact you, how would they do that? Probably the simplest way is my name.com. Noel, like the first Noel Cookman, like Cookman. I should have been a cook. Uh, noelcookman.com, and it's got all the contact information there. That's the best way. Okay. Well, thank you, Noel. Well, so when we're talking about credit qualifying and appraisals during divorce, what would you like to start with uh, this morning? Well, I hope, uh, since we have just a a few minutes, I hope to give people what amounts to a cheat sheet Mm -hmm. 
um, because you're probably driving down the road right now, or you might be at home listening. I don't know. Most people probably can't take notes at this moment. So if I can just give, you know, less than half a dozen uh, tips um, and impress them on your mind, um, then I feel like we'll really help people today. So this will be kind of like a cheat sheet. So the first thing is something that will apply to not only folks that are going through a divorce, but Mm -hmm. especially if you know somebody who's going through a divorce, of course, call them and tell them to start listening to the program right now. But um, uh, just remember how to get in contact with Kevin or myself. And um, you can can follow up and, of course, learn these things that I'm going to talk about today. But uh, it, uh, a lot of people, uh, when they're going through a divorce, may sit around the negotiating table. And, of course, you and I know that that looks different. It can be a mediation or a collaboration, or it can be on, in a side room off beside a court uh, room. It can be in a lawyer's office. But basically, you're negotiating. You're trying to, you file a petition for divorce. You're trying to res- resolve everything and come to agreement. And while you're doing that, um, and while folks are going through that procedure, a lot of times they'll be sitting around the table and one attorney or one of the clients will say, well, uh, there's no way Susie can afford the house, you know, so we're going to have to sell the house. And, and that goes back to one of the reasons I got involved in this, because people made assumptions, very bad assumptions. And so one of my mantras today is to tell the attorneys uh, look, don't sit around the table and qualify or disqualify anybody. Don't, don't do either one. We have to do that. And we have to actually do some work before we can do that. But there are things to do when you're going through a divorce that will help you qualify for a mortgage that if somebody like, like I, uh, like myself, if, if we don't tell you, then you, you will be kind of caught by surprise. And here's an example. Do I have time for a quick example? Sure. Okay. Absolutely. So I got, last year I got a uh, decree. Somebody called, it was after the divorce was final. We try to tell people, look, give us a call as soon as you know you're going to be divorcing, even before the petition is filed. As soon as you suspect, and we can get you, there's no downside to doing some of these things. It's not as if, I'm going to, you know, start this train moving and you can't stop it. And if you want to resolve your divorce and, you know, reconcile or whatever, that's fine. But there's no downside to using some of these simple tips to get, make sure you qualify um, for financing for your mortgage after your divorce or before it's final or, you know, when you want to buy a house or refinance a house. There's no downside to doing this stuff and especially to knowing it. And by the way, you'll pick up some things that not only apply to uh, divorcing situations, but just everyday situations. I'll explain that in just a minute. But. I, I, w- I wanted to emphasize one thing, Noel, um, that the listeners really, really need to understand. Buying a home, selling a home, refinancing during divorce is very different than if you were a married couple. And a lot of times when we visit with clients and they mention to either the real estate folks or the mortgage lending folks that they're going through a divorce, a lot of times we'll hear, we'll come see us afterwards. And they do that for a number of reasons. One, they don't want to mess with it, frankly. They think there's too much red tape and they're not aware of the solutions and they really don't want to get involved in the issues of trying to buy, sell a house qualified during divorce. So I, I want to emphasize that it is very different 
to purchase a home, qualify for a home, and sell a home during a divorce. You're going to sign agreements during a divorce that, if it's not done correctly, can be challenges later to qualify for a divorce, to qualify for a home, or or to sell a home, Mm -hmm. Uh, and in some cases, make it very, very difficult, and in some cases, impossible, and you're going to have to wait years for that to work itself out. So there's a big difference. And you can't assume that it's just like you're a married couple. And that's one of the reasons I like working with Noel is because he's familiar with that situation. And the other thing that's important is the legal industry and the legal world doesn't communicate very well with the lending and mortgage side. And I'm not suggesting that they are supposed to, but we need to have a communication, as you suggested, before the divorce and early on in the divorce about these home issues, but while we can still provide solutions, because there can be agreements made that it's going to make you make it very challenging for you to buy, sell, or qualify after divorce. So I just wanted to emphasize that, and and please remember that. Uh, if there's a, is there any way you can just run that on a loop and say that many <laughs> times? Maybe put it up on the website or something. But what you just said in the last mm-hmm. three minutes, so very critical and important, and and this decree that I got last year, it illustrates this perfectly. Probably the, one of the most prestigious attorneys, family law attorneys in Texas became famous like 30 years ago. This is a big case. And, uh, he is main partner in a big, uh, divorce, uh, firm with like 25 lawyers. I got one of his decrees. Uh, he had not referred the client to me and it was after the divorce was final. And I saw that what he had done was he re- had his client required to refinance a house in six months when she would not qualify for that loan for at least eight months. And the penalty was if she didn't do it by that six month date, she had to sell the house. So here is what the legal community would consider one of the smartest attorneys in Texas, certainly in the top five of most prestigious divorce lawyers in Texas, totally screwed up the client because, uh, and, it, and it could have been solved so easily by doing exactly what you were hinting at. Mm-hmm. And that is you, you, you don't pay attention to the mortgage company who says, well, uh, get your divorce final, bring us the decree. Let's see what we can do. Then it's too late. And why mortgage companies do that? I'm not totally sure why, except I think that they assume that, that, well, a couple things that you can't take an application until the divorce is final because there's such a drastic or dramatic difference between your situation before divorce versus after divorce. And that may be true, but there's no guideline. There's no mortgage, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD, VA, anything that says you cannot take an application months before you close the loan, months before the divorce is final, if necessary. There's nothing that prevents that. It's just that they don't do it. We do it. And, and that's how we're able to help people is to actually get them set up. For instance, that case that I was just talking about, if they, if she would have called me beforehand and here's one of the tips, here's a, can I go ahead and share a tip? Absolutely. Right now? Okay. Here's one, here's one of the tips. Um, when you're going through a divorce and you're probably going to need spousal support or child support or both as income to qualify. First of all, that's a newsflash to a lot of people. They think, oh, you you can use child support and spousal support to qualify for your mortgage. Yes. Under certain circumstances, you have to show 
that it's going to continue for, here's the magic number, three years into the future. And you have to show a history of having received it. All right. Now in, and here's where the legal world and the lending world do not communicate with each other very well, except when we introduce ourselves into it. The legal world thinks, well, the child support is not going to start. In some cases, temporary orders may start it earlier, but it's not going to start or spousal support is not going to start till after the divorce is final. And the decree will actually say on the first of the month and the 15th of the month, or it'll prescribe what day it's due and the first day it starts. That's the legal world. Well, on the lending world, when you're qualifying for your mortgage, all that's required with very few exceptions, all that's required is that you document having received that. So let me interpret that for you. That means that someone who's just now filing for divorce or thinks that they might filed for divorce and wants to keep the house and refinance it out of her husband's name, let's say, because the husband may say, okay, you can have the house, but you got to do two things. You've got to get my name off the mortgage. And there's only one for sure way to do that. And that is for her to refinance that debt and her own liability. And number two, he says, you got to give me my interest in the house. You got to pay me whatever dollars, you know, is my part. And that's a negotiable figure. But uh, if as soon as you know you're heading down that path, you can begin to create the paper trail, which remember in the legal world, they're not even thinking it's going to start until after temporary orders or after the divorce is final. In our world, the lending world, it simply needs to be documented. So we tell people, here's exactly how you do it. You need to do it precisely. It needs to be, you know, um, it, it can't be just a money order and cash. You know, we, we outline, I mean, precisely exactly what to write on the memo line of the check. And so you begin to create that paper trail and many divorces, you, you don't want to hear this. Those of you who are going through a divorce, you don't want to hear this, but it's true. Um, in Texas, you need uh, 60 days. Um, some people call it a cooling off period or whatever, but you file a petition and you can't get a final divorce till after 60 days have passed. Some people think they're going to actually get divorced on day 61 and everybody in the legal community kind of grins like, sure. Well, it does happen. It can happen. And, and yes, it, it actually does happen many times, but most of the time things will tend to drag on a little bit longer for all kinds of reasons. But the, the point is if you will start that, like if that famous attorney had sent his client to me early she could have qualified to finance in six months because she would have started receiving the child and spousal support before the divorce was final. What, what Noel is describing is when you have the correct team, these conversations are going to be held during the process of your divorce and they're going to be addressed because everyone has different needs and concerns. And with time and having open communication, we can address those needs. But what does happen is that sometimes the legal pre, uh, profession is looking for a solution, and that's to get an agreement that both spouses can agree to, and that's important, and that needs to be done. But we have to have a conversation about the home now, the potential home after the divorce, if someone's looking for a new home, uh, refinancing equity out of the home, because after the fact, the, the short answer is it limits your solutions and it costs more time and more money to try to do that afterwards. So you have to have a conversation about it before. And frankly, if you're not having that conversation with your legal team, you need to ask them why not. And if needed be, 
you, you need to go visit someone else and get a second opinion because situations are going to be corrected where you're going to have to stay in the house and, and maybe you can't afford to stay in the house and you're going to need to sell, need to move, refinance, and it's just going to be more complicated. So, again, having an open conversation before and during is very important, and it, it just saves so many issues. And, and part of the reason I got involved in the d- divorce field is we had people coming to, into our office with these situations that weren't addressed, and now we were trying to correct them, but we didn't have the solutions, and maybe the solutions were less than what could have been that if we would have had a 30-minute conversation prior to. So, um, again, I just wanted to emphasize that it's very, very important. Yeah, okay. I hope uh, as you're listening to this, I hope you, you can kind of see, uh, I would like to think of myself as level-headed, but Kevin is really level-headed. He's, he, he thinks everything through, and it, it occurred to me just a few minutes ago that even if you're, uh, you're the exact kind of person I would look for in solving my financial problems. Here's why. When you're going through a divorce, it's a problem to be solved, not a fight to be won. And that is so huge. You want to save yourself money in divorcing? Look at it as a problem to be solved, not a fight to be won. Because nobody's going to win that fight. No, nobody wins in divorce in that kind of a situation. So quit looking at it as a fight to be won. Uh, look at it as a problem to be solved. Now, I know that sounds kind of crass, and it sounds like uh, maybe I don't care about the emotions and the the personalities, and I, I really do, but I'm trying to help folks going through a divorce. If you can look at it as a business deal, and I know that sounds almost horrible, but I think if you're going through a divorce, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. If you can somehow look at it as a business deal, and so that's why uh, we're big fans of Kevin is because um, it, it's our finances are problems to be solved. And so there's different ways. And boy, if you can get somebody through a divorce and help solve their problems there, you can pretty much do anything in the financial world. And I don't expect you to say amen to that, but um, that's the truth. So, um, and then, um, so that that's number one tip is, Uh, Let's put in just a few words so you can remember it. Start documentation early. And that means start the documentation of receiving child support or spousal support early as possible. It does not matter that it's not yet been ordered. So when you say receiving, um, that's as simple as one spouse writing a check to the other spouse and putting a note in the note field that says support, correct? Exactly. Okay. You, you said it. Not even child support, not yeah. even alimony, just put support. And um, and we'll outline, I mean, I can get more detailed with it if you want me to, but um, you, in other well, words. Well, sure, you, but I just, I just wanted to emphasize that um, part of the conversation is very simple. It's simple. Exactly. Part of the conversation is more involved, especially on your side, but, you know, we're not talking something, talking about something that's involved or complicated in that process, mm-hmm. there there literally is a series of checks written to one spouse mm-hmm. that notes that it's divo- uh, excuse me support in some manner, mm-hmm. and it has a dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And the conversation is that it's going to be carried out for a period of time, whatever's agreed to. Mm-hmm. And there's other behind the scenes work that you're doing, but it's not paperwork intensive. 
Okay. I mean, it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. So it's going to happen anyway, but it's just, it, it, it's not as involved as maybe some people think, um, on how that's done. And then you were going to give us, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's as simple as this. And, and we always use the third grade principle. And that is we, we try to make it, the documentation so clear that a third grader could underwrite your loan file. And we do this with everything. We all, we, around the office, we tell people third grade, third grade, third grade, make it so simple and clear. In other words, we'll tell, uh, if husband is paying wife, husband, start your own separate account. Wife, start your own separate account. So it's real clear that John is paying Susie, not a joint account paying a joint account, because that's not John paying Susie. No. So we, it, it gets that specific, but again, it's so simple and it doesn't take long to explain or understand. And, uh, and, and, and people, uh, think about it. People will, uh, it now takes six months. In uh, 95% of the cases, it takes six months of documented receipt of support income for that to be considered qualifying income in a mortgage. So if you start the day after your divorce, you're at least six months before you can use that income for qualifying. Yeah. So what you're saying is that um, if the divorce is two months, six months or nine months, whatever it might be, then during that process, we can, and I'll use the term build that history there during that time frame. Exactly. And, um, so it's almost like time served, if you will, <laughs> that, that, you know, that history is built during the divorce process. And as you said, instead of afterwards, that is going to extend it at least another six months, correct? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and the first thing people think of is, well, let's say John and Susie, forgive me, John and Susie for using your names, but I'm just pulling that out of the hat. So John is going to pay Susie. So Susie says, well, why is John going to start? The court's not going to make him pay until some date in the future. Why would he start paying me $2,500 a month now? Here's why. If he's been paying the house payment and, uh, the Lexus payment and the utilities, and it all totals up to $2,500 a month, He's going to give you $2,500 and you're going to make those payments. So it, it, what we're suggesting or recommending or actually requiring of documentation is not costing anybody any extra money. It's just beginning to mirror what's going to happen anyway. So um, almost everybody gets it. When I explain it like that, almost everybody says, sure, we can juggle the paperwork like that. And uh, you're not gaming the system. You're mirroring exactly what your divorce is going to be. Well, and I, I wanted to mention that what we're talking about could be a possibility during your divorce. But we want to emphasize you need to consult with your legal team before you do any of this before. Mm -hmm. So don't do this on your own prior to right. talking to your attorneys. All right, we, always, we always make the recommendation in writing to the attorney. Well, when we come back, we'll learn more about credit qualifying and appraisals during divorce, and we'll be right back. Thank you. Don't forget to download the Lone Star Community Radio app for your Google Play or Apple Store. Bring Montgomery County's Community Radio with you anywhere with your smartphone or tablet. If you are in the Conroe area, tune in on FM. That is Conroe's FM 104.5-106.1. Relax with a cup of joe or your favorite drink for the Conroe Lake Conroe Chamber of Commerce Chamber Chat. 
The show airs on the first Tuesday of the month at 11 a.m. on Lone Star Community Radio. Join hosts Courtney Galley and Brian Bondi as they chat about the Chamber's events and programs for the month and invite Chamber members into the studio to talk about their upcoming events and businesses. Learn about your Chamber with Chamber Chat every first Tuesday at 11 a.m. Our talk shows and music shows are looking for sponsors. Want to expand your brand awareness? Reach the hyper-local audience in Montgomery County? Lone Star Community Radio sponsorships accomplish this. Want to see our stats and rates? Check out ourlonestar.com sponsor for more information. Or call in and leave us a message at 936-647-3776 with your questions. Get seen on TV, YouTube, and heard on our podcast FM and internet radio. Support your local radio station with Lone Star Community Radio. We're back. This is Planning for Win, Financial Guidance in Life, and I'm Kevin Pinkley. Let's continue with Noel Cookman. Hey, Kevin. It's noelcookman.com again. Well, so... um, so we talked a little bit about having a discussion before and during divorce. What would you like to, what would be the next topic you would like to talk about? Well, uh, you know, I could keep on talking about credit qualifying, but I think maybe it's smart to uh, tell your intelligent listeners. I mean, uh, your listeners who are all intelligent are, they wouldn't be listening to your show, I'm sure. But um, um, call, Every, everything is custom made. I mean, your clients, their portfolios that you do for them, it's custom made. With us, sure, there's templates. There's, there are guidelines that some are immovable, some are gray area. But everything is custom made, and especially in a divorce. We look at the situation. I do what we call reverse engineering. So I could talk another couple hours on credit qualifying and, and some tips to, to keep in mind. Let me cover one, and then let's talk about, can we do appraisals? You bet. Talk you about appraisals. Okay. Let me, let me throw in one little tip, which actually applies not just to divorcing people, but um, anybody qualifying for financing. Um, always have a checking account through which you pay your bills. Try to stop working in cash. And I know some people have to work in cash or think that they have to work with cash. Here's what I mean. Um, mom signs uh, a car note w- with uh, uh, for her 17 or maybe even 18 or 19 or 20-year-old son. And mom says, by George, if I'm going to sign this, you're going to get a job and you're going to make the payments. And uh, I'm going to teach you responsibility and you're going to pay the insurance. Well, that's great. I mean, that's American parents do that all the time. And I think it's great. So what do you do? Uh, We had a case where um, uh, one of our customers had signed for her mother. It was actually her mother's car. And I said, well, um, and so I'm like, oh, what's this $350 a month on the credit report? Is that your debt or is that going to be your ex-husband's or what? No, that's my mom's. So I said, well, does she pay it? Yes, she pays it. How does she pay it? Can you give us canceled checks? No, she gives me cash. Well, guess what? That debt now counts against our customer because she cannot prove that somebody else is making it. So here's what you do. Moms, dads, anybody co-signing, and this could be just co-signing for friends. It could be anytime you co-sign for somebody else. That means you are listed on that credit report as the borrower. There's no such thing as a co-borrower in the credit world. You either borrow the money and you can do it with one other, two or 10 other people. doesn't matter. You're the borrower. So it shows up on your credit report. And what you have to do is prove to a future lender 
that somebody else is actually paying that bill. And if you can do that and you can do it kind of like we talked uh, last half hour about how you document support, you know, right, receive, right. you, you, uh, you document now payments being paid. So now you tell your son, you say, look, junior, you're open. I'm marching you down to the bank. You're opening up a, a checking account or you get some way to document that junior is using his money to pay for that car payment. When you do that, see if our customer's mother had not just given cash, but had written a check to the car company or to the, you know, the, the finance company, then, then we could have said, okay, now that debt doesn't count against you. As it was, we had to deal with that debt and it disqualified her or we were able to do something else, but basically she had to pay it. Now she's now mom just has to pay her back. So, um, but the point is documentation. Gotcha. So that's a little tip for everybody. No, it's, that's important. I, I wanted to ask a question. Um, so how much is the lending industry or the finance industry changing year by year? So what I mean is, so let's say someone hasn't bought a home for 10 years or refinanced. Has there been a lot of changes in the processes and the procedures and what uh, people are looking at that maybe wasn't in existence 10 years ago? And, and what I'm saying is, is it more complicated now or less complicated Good than it question. was 10 years ago? It, um, uh, the, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> so uh, there are some constants that never change. For instance, uh, uh, lenders are always looking for income stability. They're always looking for credit patterns. They're always looking at the ratios, mm -hmm. uh, the LTV, the loan to value ratio, your debt to income ratio. They're always looking at those things. They're going to underwrite the property, the appraisal, things like that. Uh, they're going to make sure you have money to close. So those, those things are constant. There are some variations that we saw in the previous subprime industry, where if you have a certain credit score, it'll make up for not being able to uh, prove your income, for instance. But in 2008, when you were in junior high school, you young whippersnappers, um, uh, when we had the mortgage meltdown, uh, I would answer that question, yes, there, are a, there were a lot of changes. We used to joke, and it wasn't that much of a joke. We'd get up every morning, find out, number one, what lenders were still in business. Uh, I had friends who woke up on Monday morning and had five loans that were supposed to close that day, and the lenders had gone out of business the night before, literally the night before. And so we, we, we get up every morning, find out who's still in business. And number two, what guidelines have changed, how they had tightened up, how they loosened up or whatever. So yeah, there is, it's like an accordion. You still have an accordion, but it, it stretches and contracts. So what's happened since 2010, when Dodd-Frank was passed through 2000 now, um, well, first of all, 2015, so five years, the cost of, of producing what we call producing a loan, in other words, the underwriting costs to compensate the loan officer to get the appraisal, everything went from $3,500 to $7,000. Mm -hmm. Now, it's clear to most people that that doubling of cost was almost all due to compliance, government requirements. I don't know if you remember, but Bank of America, at the advent of Dodd-Frank, they immediately hired 3,000 people just at Bank of America to handle compliance. So... Uh, so much of the actual expense in your mortgage, which there's higher closing costs than ever before, has to do with the fact that it takes two or three times as many people to work on it. So there, that many more people have to be paid and, and it, it, there is compliance. But from the consumer, the, the person who's borrowing, um, you, you might not uh, see that big of a difference, except uh, the one thing you'll see is you have to sign more disclosures up front. You used to could sign eight to 15 pages and you get your quote, your loan package started. 
Now it's closer to 50 pages. So it's all electronic. You go through and we just tell people, look, click. I mean, you're not committing to anything, so you might as well click through that. But yeah, that's probably the biggest thing they'll see. Okay. Well, thank you. And the reason I asked that, Noel, is because my experience has been that it's helpful to hire a professional to walk you through this process and guide you, whether you're getting divorced or not, because things have changed over the years. And the home that we bought 10 years ago, it's a different scenario. Absolutely. And, and, and it's beneficial to talk to those folks prior to such as yourself. So Exactly. And if you, if you just won't say, uh, because we just grin and smile to ourselves when we hear this, people say, well, it wasn't this way the last time I bought a house. Well, guess what? This ain't the last time you bought a house. It's a different world. And even if it wasn't, everybody's situation is fluid. So everything is always changing in that sense. So don't be thinking, well, it's like the last time. No, it's not. And it, pardon my bad grammar before, but gotcha. no, it ain't. It's not the last time. So you want to talk about appraisals Yes, now? please. I won't interrupt you. Okay. No, 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 please. Because you have real solid, uh, sensible things to say. And I'm, and I'm so excited. I'm sure I gloss over a lot of things. But okay, so you're sitting around the, the divorce table. And listen, if you're going through a divorce, I know you're interested in this already, but you got friends going through a divorce too. So here's what's going to happen. Um, uh, one of the, the husband or wife uh, says, okay, uh, I want to keep the house because I'm going to have the kids. I want to keep them in the same school, same neighborhood. That's very understandable. Uh, first of all, don't anybody say, well, you can't afford it. You don't know. Let somebody like me jump in there and we'll tell you, we won't say you can afford it or not. We'll say we can qualify you for the financing. A lot of times we qualify people for financing and they have more sense than to borrow what the lender's willing to give them. And they, they say, well, I don't want to spend that much. That's fine. But we'll, we'll determine if you can qualify. And if you can't qualify, then you probably can't afford it unless you've got a secret stream of income that can't count. So here's what happens. You're sitting around that table and one of the parties, let's say uh, it's, it's the wife says, um, I, I'll, I want the house. And, and the husband says, well, get my name off the mortgage and give me my equity in the house. What they mean is if there's a hundred thousand dollars equity in the house, give me $50,000. Now, by the way, that's not the way you figure equity that most people think you figure equity. So that's another radio show and that's another seminar, but you're sitting around that table and you're like, okay, well, what's the house worth? Well, I think it's worth this. And the other one, I think it's worth this. And guess what? The one who's uh, receiving the buyout thinks it's worth more than the person who's doing the buyout. Yep. And yep, a, that a, happens all the time. A buyout yep. in a divorce is when you keep the house and you buy the other one out of their quote portion of the equity. So this happens all the time. Let, let me tell you something. Listen up, Texas, the whole state. No, the whole country. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. I could save this country millions of dollars in appraisal fees right now if you just listen to what I'm telling you. I mean, it's unbelievable how many times this will happen today across Texas. Let's just take, say Texas. One, the, the, the husband will say, well, I'm going to get my appraisal. And, and the wife, well, I'm going to get my appraisal. And guess what? You have two different figures and some judge who doesn't know his hat from a hole in the ground or hers. I'm sorry, you judges. Um, I realize I just offended somebody. That's my fault. Um, let, me, let me say it this way. The judge who shouldn't have to know better looks at two figures and says, well, we'll split it down the, med down the middle. Well, guess what? Here's the deal. None of those appraisals count. None of them count. 
the only appraisal since 2009, which actually predated uh, Dodd-Frank, and, and this provision got rolled into Dodd-Frank, the Wall Street Reform Act of 2009 got implemented in 2010 and, and you know, still somewhat being implemented and now being rolled back a little bit. But in that big Dodd-Frank, second largest, it's second only in size to Obamacare. It's a bit, 2,300 pages, huge bill. In that was this provision that the lender, not the client, not the judge, not the attorney, not the financial planner, nobody but the lender can order the appraisal. So if you're sitting around the table right now, and by some strange coincidence, y'all decided to tune into this program, and you're listening to me right now, stop. Do not order an appraisal. Your appraisal does not count, period. Now, in parenthesis, I would have to say, it doesn't count so long as somebody needs financing. Now, if everybody's got cash and you're willing to pay, then you don't even need an appraisal. You can come to an agreement of what you think the house is worth. You don't need anything. Of course, you probably will get an appraisal. But what I'm telling you, if you need a mortgage, if you need to refinance that house, if you need to roll in that buyout, you have to, the the only appraisal that matters is the one the lender orders. I wanted to follow up with that. So, Noel, my, my experience has been that whether it's in the attorney's office or someone comes into my office, there's one, two, three, four, sometimes six different appraisals because the, oh ter- the term is they're shopping an appraisal. All right. So they're trying to get an appraisal that shows up the way they want it to <laughs> or the way someone else doesn't want it to. And then, so the conversation is, okay, that's fine, but you're going to be upset here in a little bit when we say you kind of wasted your time and I think you wasted a lot of money because, as you said, if we're talking about purchasing, refinancing, um, going to a lender, that the one that is going to matter is the appraisal that's ordered from the lender. And, you know, I'll use the term people get ahead of themselves sometimes and they think that they're saving themselves some time and money by going ahead and getting the appraisal and they literally walk in to either my office or the attorney's office for the first time and they say, hey, we've done a lot of our homework so I don't think this should take much time during our divorce. And oh, by the way, we've also done the appraisal. And <laughs> Guess uh, what? You but, wasted five hundred bucks. Right. But but it but it literally is probably about ninety-five percent of the time somebody comes in with at least one appraisal. And I believe that I've seen six. That that's the, the highest count that I've seen. But I, I joke about that, but I never yeah. knew it was true. That's right. right. I I've seen Crazy. six appraisals. Oh my gosh. And um and then, you know, it just adds to the angst that's there and the emotions that's in the divorce of, hey, we kind of did something, not kind of, we did something that we didn't need to do and we spent some time and money and, and we probably had some disagreement along the way about the value. So as Noel was saying, I know you want to get started on this, save you some time and save you some money, but that's one of those things that you don't need to do yourself because if you're going to need to do it, Someone will tell you how to do it later, and you're only going to need to do it once. Now, plus, yeah. if they use that appraisal that's not useful to negotiate a buyout, because I say, here's the value, and here's what we owe on it, and here's the buyout, man, it, and, and you, it, so many things in your divorce are going to be written down, and then um, depending on exactly what that agreement is, it may be kind of etched in stone. I mean, it, it's stuff you can't easily change. Um, I, the, the, the most drastic thing is several years ago, right after when this became law or, or guidelines, um, somebody had got an appraisal for $545,000. I'm gonna give you the exact figures. 
I remember it to this day, $545,000 for this value. They negotiated the buyout based on that. When I looked at that appraisal, it had adjustments up to 95%. Now, just to, before, I don't, I'm not going to explain what adjustments are so much, but the standard adjustments, if they're above 25%, the, the lender says, we're not even going to look at that. You got to correct that. And this had adjustments up to the lowest was 56%. The highest was 95%. So it was a bad appraisal to start with. When our appraisal got ordered, it came in at $475,000, $70,000 difference. But they had already negotiated the buyout based on $545,000. We almost couldn't close that loan. And when we did, it was at much worse terms than what the borrower originally thought that he could get it for. So um, it basically is because... They just looked at an appraisal that was totally useless. So again, this is an example that, you know, normally if you're not divorcing, you would order appraisals, do do different things along the way to prepare. But during the divorce, it's different folks. And this is one of those issues that um, something as simple as an appraisal, you need to run it by someone who's familiar with the subject mm-hmm. because you're going to be happier when you, when you don't do that and spend a lot of time. And, and, and the rest of the background is uh, couples don't agree on the appraiser. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. And, so, you know, each one of them has their own appraiser, and then they each have their own cost, and, and it just adds to already, as I said earlier, the emotions that are there. So, you know, spending a few minutes, you know, talking to your attorney first, talking to Noel, and just not getting ahead of yourself is important because I understand we, we want to get through this process and move on with our lives, but uh, it slows down the process and it costs more. And, and frankly, it, it makes people a little more upset when they find out that this is oh, happening. Man. And um, so again, imagine if you'd spent thousand dollars, five hundred dollars for each appraisal, and then like, oh, guess what? We can't even look at it. Right? It's that serious. The underwriting, we can't even send it to the underwriter. Right. Look it, at it. Yeah. It's it's you know for that purpose it's 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 worthless paper so um again during the divorce things are very different you you have to talk to someone before um so i'll get off my soapbox there oh man that's i mean uh and and that reminds me of the other thing is when you call somebody like me early in the process or kevin uh i don't know if you realize this but if you mediate you have to hire a mediator and you're paying your attorneys uh, when you talk to uh, a mortgage uh, a divorce lending specialist like myself or Kevin, uh, a financial specialist in, in all things financial, but in divorce too, we do a lot of work before you go to that meeting and we can turn what some people spend two hours doing into about five minutes. For instance, can Susie afford the house? If we've already taken the application and qualified and we say under these conditions, absolutely, yes, do it this mm-hmm. way, this way, then that goes from a, from an hour or so paying a mediator and, and two attorneys sit around and talk about, well, no, she can't, or yes, she can, or I don't know if she, no, it's done. So uh, we're, I mean, I don't know, we haven't even calculated, but we save people a lot of money by just having them prepared for these sorts of things. And, um, and the appraisal is one of them so that uh, you, not only do you save the time that you would uh, or the money you spend on a couple of appraisals, but you save the time going back and forth. Well, it's worth this. No, it's worth this. And what about this? No, 
and plus it takes the stress out when two divorcing parties can say, well, we have nothing to do with the appraisal. It's going to be done. It's going to be ordered by a third party. We can't, t- I mean, that's the whole idea behind this uh, regulation and Dodd-Frank is that it puts a firewall even b- between me, the lender and the appraiser. So that there's this, uh, it's kind of a black hole. You put the order in and it comes back out. So for good or bad, I mean, that's the way it is, but use that to your advantage. Well, what Noel is describing, and um, Noel didn't say it, but I'll say it for him. Uh, many times in uh, divorce, the attorneys working on the case and in combination with the financial folks that are working on it, um, when the situation takes place where there needs to be a, a, a buy or refinance or equity out of the home, then we'll just refer uh, the client to Noel, let him do the work, and frankly, our clocks aren't running then, uh, meaning the attorney's billing hours or, or perhaps myself or someone else, and he'll do the groundwork to come up with the solutions and the process and mechanics of it because he's familiar with, frankly, the year-to-year changes, month-to-month changes, and in some cases, day-to-day changes that are taking place in the lending industry. And we'll let him come up with different solutions, get back in touch with us, and then we proceed. So it tends, in my opinion, to be a little more efficient. And as you said, cost a little less because instead of having um, ourselves with billable hours work on it, Noel's working on it. And then we come back, review the solution, see if it makes sense for the client. But, you know, we're going uh, to the source, in, in this case, Noel, to help come up with those solutions and help formulate what the answer is. So my experience has been it makes it more efficient and uh, the helps reduce the cost, and, and that's why we invite um, folks like Noel into that process. Um, I, if I can, I'll toot my own horn here, but the cool thing is there's no downside to the way we do it. Mm-hmm. For instance, uh, I don't know if you know this about the mortgage industry, but mortgage people can't be paid from various sources. Uh, so I don't have another fee. I make my money by doing the mortgage, just like any other mortgage originator. So whatever, uh, and we basically work about uh, 75% more on a on these files. It takes about 75% more man hours or, and, uh, and labor to do this because we're tracking the divorce and I'm doing things like reviewing the decree. So that's my uh, so-called marketing expense, I would say. And, um, uh, but you don't, the, the, customers, the borrowers don't pay me extra money to do it. I make my money by doing the mortgage and it's a set thing and there's nothing I can do to change it. So I couldn't, couldn't charge extra if I wanted to. So, um, so there's no downside in it. And I appreciate, and believe it or not, lawyers aren't out there looking for ways to, uh, kind of just bill you more hours for doing dumb stuff. They don't like billing you stuff, uh, billing you for not performing. Uh, Trust me on this. Uh, I'm sure there are some attorneys that, that do it, but the ones that we work with, I mean, for the, for the greatest book that when they bill you, they want to be doing work for you. They don't want to be sitting behind their desk like, well, I don't know what we're going to do about this, but they, they once you take an attorney's time, it's gone. So, and anything that's fee-based, you take their time, it's gone. So they have to bill you. So what they're very happy to offload this kind of stuff to somebody who works on the, gets paid by the job. And, uh, and they're giving you value for doing this. So, um, I just want to throw that in about you and the attorneys uh, and your integrity. No, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned it. That's my experience as well. Um, 
well, time flies. So, oh, yeah. um, oh we're finished. I, I, I think that what I would like is to have you back another time, continue on this subject and, and have others. But I, I wanted you to mention again how the listeners could get a hold of you, Noel. My name.com, Noel, like the first Noel, Cookman, C-O-O-K-M-A-N.com is the easiest way to do it. Thank you, Noel. And I want to thank you for listening to Planning for Win, Financial Guidance in Life. You can join us uh, next month, the last Tuesday of the month at 1 p.m. And you can also check us out online at Lone Star Community Radio. Thank you very much. And thank you, Noel. Thank you. Securities and financial planning offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing.